What the hell? Boy, those are words we don't often say. But for the next three weeks, we're going to ask ourselves, what the hell? Which hell? What do we believe about hell? What does the Bible say about hell? Join me for these three weeks with Pastor Tasha and the One Prez Pod. Hello there, everyone. It's Pastor Tasha Blackburn with the One Prez Pod, and we are on our fifth and final episode on hell in our Heaven and Hell series. That means very, very soon we will get to heaven uh, and talking about that. But one more week on hell. And this week I want to focus on uh, what is it that Reformed Christians believe about hell. Uh, Reformed Christians include uh, our... um, spice blend of Christianity, which is Presbyterian. So there's all different spices of Christianity, right, and flavors, Baptist and Methodist and Episcopalian and Catholic, uh, and there's also Reformed Christians, of which Presbyterians are some. You will notice the lack of my friend's voice this week. Jan had to go out of town, but she will be back with us next week. So I'm going to fly solo here today. Uh, but it's a pretty important teaching for today, so I don't didn't want to uh, leave you hanging. We've covered uh, what hell looks like in the Old Testament, what hell looks like in the New Testament, and today, uh, what is it over the thousands of years that Reformed Christians have come to believe about hell? As we begin, I want to give a quote. Uh, it's a quote from a very popular Christian writer, uh, Randy Alcorn, and I want you to listen carefully. It's not super long, but it's a little bit long. But I want you to listen for some assumptions that are made in this quote. He writes, Heaven is not our default destination. No one goes there automatically. Unless our sin problem is resolved, the only place we will go is our true default destination, hell. It's of paramount importance to make sure you are going to heaven, not hell. Okay, now I know that was a little bit of a long quote, but I want to talk about and pull out a few assumptions that are in this quote and I think represent a lot of assumptions made both inside and outside the Christian community about hell. And one of the assumptions, this may sound really strange, but one of the assumptions is that our eternal destiny is the central concern of Christianity that it's the only thing that matters about the Christian faith is our eternal destiny. A second assumption is that our eternal destiny is our responsibility, right? Randy Alcorn says, it's of paramount importance for you to make sure you are going to heaven, not hell. The assumption there is that that eternal destiny is our own responsibility to fulfill. And then a third assumption I think he has lurking in the background there is that relatively few people will make it into heaven. That heaven is fairly empty compared to how full hell is. Those are three assumptions that I think are pretty common uh, in our communities. That our eternal destiny is the central concern of Christian faith. That our eternal destiny is our responsibility. And that relatively few people make it into heaven. Okay, with those assumptions in the background, I want to share the bedrock belief of Reformed Christianity as it relates to this. It is the bedrock belief. 
Human beings do not merit or earn their salvation. Human beings do not and cannot merit or earn or win their salvation. They cannot do it. That's what Reformed Christians believe, um, is that we cannot be good enough. We cannot get there. We cannot earn it, our salvation. That salvation is a gift we receive from God. So there it is. That's, that's the bedrock um, teaching of Reformed Christianity. Uh, so if you remember nothing else from this podcast, I would love for you to remember that. We do not believe we can get there. Uh, there is this chasm between us and God, and we cannot cross it. We cannot cross it ourselves. It has to be God reaching all the way across um, to save us. And we believe that's what he does in Jesus. So here's a couple of things that one of our founders, John Calvin, back in the 1500s, this is what he said about hell. He thought hell was um, about being cut off from fellowship with God. He thought it was about a relationship or a lack thereof rather than a place. Um, So for him, hell is not fiery torment, but it is the loss of this life-giving and most important relationship a human being could ever have. It's being cut off from fellowship with God. And then the second thing that Calvin said is, because it's not a place, because it's a lack of relationship, that hell is something that can be present and experienced both in this life and in the next life. So there are literally people who can be experiencing hell on earth. Um, And not just because they're facing a tough time, Calvin would say, but because they don't have that fellowship with God. That relationship, life-giving relationship, is not there. And so it's hell. It is hell for them. Because our true state, Calvin would say, our true home is that relationship with God. And so we are not home until we have that back in our lives. And just as a little precursor, interestingly enough, Calvin feels the same way about heaven. That heaven is this relationship with God uh, and being attuned and with God. And so that can happen both in the next life and there can be glimpses of being in heaven even now. So he he felt like there is a now and not yet quality to both hell and heaven. Okay, so if we take what what old John Calvin talked about, um, and I want to share four more modern reform beliefs about hell. So if you were to go into any sort of reformed Christian church Uh, this weekend around this country, around the world, here would be four beliefs that they, most of them, most all of them would hold. Um, They probably wouldn't give you a pamphlet on it, but here it is. The first one is, we are keenly aware that there is not a consistent portrait of hell that emerges from the Bible as a whole. And we want to take that seriously. Um, because what we mean by that is we don't want to say that you are in or out of our community if your understanding of hell differs slightly from mine because we have different um, images of it, different teachings on it throughout the Bible uh, as we've been learning in this podcast. So we don't want to base any of our uh, solid you have to believe this teaching on this because we get a varied picture. 
So what we see coming from the Bible is that all of the scriptures are keenly aware of death. They don't deny it. Uh, it is real. Um, all of the scriptures are, um, are united in the teaching that God is just and that we can put our hope and trust in his justice. So we agree on that when we think about what is our portrait of hell. We also believe that all of the scriptures point to God's faithfulness being stronger than death. Uh, faith, God's faithfulness is stronger than death. And we also believe that any talk of hell, any of our beliefs about hell, really have the first and foremost goal of encouraging us in this life. They really are to be more of a carrot than a stick. You know, um, you do not want to be cut off from re relationship with God. That There's such tragic consequences to being having no relationship with the one who gave you life. Um, so let's double down on that life-giving relationship. It's to encourage us. So one of the modern reform beliefs about hell is we are just not going to make it a doctrine that you are either in or out on uh, because we see this varied picture. But within the varied picture, we do see these truths that God is just and we can put our hope and trust in his justice, that he is faithful and his faithfulness is stronger than death. And that death is real um, and a very difficult thing we all have to be aware of. Okay, so a second reform teaching is uh, we go along with Calvin on this. We've kept him on this. That hell doesn't simply point to a destination after life ends. It is present when relationship with God is broken in this life as well as in the next life. So we got that from Calvin, remember? I had just taught you that. Uh, We've taken that all the way 500 years forward from him, that hell is a broken relationship, not a physical destination. And that because it's a broken relationship, it can happen here and now, as well as in the next life. Our third teaching we, we brought forward from Calvin as well, and it's related to that, as I told you, that this is a relationship, not a space. Um, hell is the possibility that we might choose to live according to the ways of death. Hell is the lie that we can live apart from God. It's when we lie to ourselves and say that we don't need to have relationship with God and we sever it for ourselves. Uh, that's hell. Um, it's a broken relationship, not a cavern deep in the earth. And finally, the fourth sort of modern reform teaching about hell is that hell does not get the final word. We believe when we look at scripture, especially the book of Revelation, hell is conquered already. It has no power over and against God. God has defeated hell. Um, we believe Christ descended into hell, so he has even been there. He has been in that broken and severed relationship. Um, he walked there before us, and he has conquered it. Now, you might ask, okay, does that mean there is no hell? Does that mean that heaven is more full than hell? Does that mean that all people are saved? Well, I can't answer any of those questions for you, and real honestly, no one can. We don't know, but what we do know is that heaven is God's intent. God's intent, um, as we read in the you know most famous passage, John three sixteen, uh, God sent his only son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. God's intent is heaven. 
God's intent is saving. So hell doesn't get the final word. Hell doesn't have any power uh, opposite of God. It, it, it cannot mount a defense um, against the power of God. So we've talked about the devil each of these times too, and this might be a good time to bring him up. What do, what do reformed people uh, feel about the devil? Well, a little bit like what I just said to you about the fourth modern um, reform belief about hell. We believe the devil's already defeated. We believe um, because of that, he's a minor character. Uh, we don't actually have a ton of scriptures about the devil. Not nearly so many as we do about um, being a prophet or about caring for the widow and orphan or about money for goodness sakes. We don't have nearly the scriptures about the devil, Satan, demons as we do about so many other more central topics. So we believe he's a minor character. We believe he is already defeated. And we believe that the term devil uh, really points to this unsettling and always present possibility that we can turn from God. This always unsettling possibility that we can choose to not be who God would desire for us to be. That we would choose evil over good. The fact that that is out there hovering, um, menacing, um, that's devilish, you know, is what we would say. That is devilish, and that's what the devil is pointing to. Okay, so this brings up a lot of things. If we take these sort of modern beliefs about, reform beliefs about hell, it brings up some follow-up questions, uh, including, well, what about salvation? What about these terms I sometimes hear thrown around? Election predestination. Oh my gosh, these words that, um, you know, what do they all mean? Well, I will say, uh, if you want to hear an, a deep dive on election predestination, um, that's actually in earlier this week, we dropped a podcast under Presby Who, our third episode, and it speaks in depth about the topics of election and predestination. But what I would say about these things here is we believe that God's intent is heaven. God's intent is salvation. Um, and that we believe that God is the one in charge of those things. God chooses who will be saved. Because if you go back to our bedrock assumption as and belief as Reformed Christians, it's that human beings cannot merit or earn their salvation. Remember that one way back from 12 minutes ago? Human beings cannot merit or earn their salvation. So if we cannot earn it, if it is a gift, then what is the nature of a gift? Um, God saves whom God chooses to save. That's what election means in a theological sense. For us, election doesn't mean go vote in the primaries, you know, although you should. Uh, it's next week, everyone. Uh, but, but election in this sense means God chooses. God elects who God chooses to save. Um, and it's based on his justice, his righteousness, his character, not on our resume. And then the predestination, which is a very long, fancy word that you sometimes hear thrown around in this conversation, 
predestination for Presbyterians really just means if it's God doing the saving and God is eternal and all-knowing, then God has known that all along. Um, if God's doing the saving and God is all-knowing and eternal, then God has known. This can really bring up a lot of questions about, well, are we simply puppets on a string? Um, no, we are not puppets on a string. Free will comes in here. Um, although that's a twitchy subject, actually, for Presbyterians, for Reformed Christians, but there's this sense of our work as human beings is simply to respond to the gift. The gift was given, unearned, un unmerited, um, undeserved. The gift is given by God. It begins with God. The question then is, uh, what will our response be? Um, what will our response be to the gift of salvation? Will we live out fruit from that? Um, will we choose fruit from that, uh, from the gift? That's where free will comes in for Reformed Christians. Uh, not that we feel we can pull ourselves up on our own. That's not our free will. We don't think we can pull ourselves up on our own. We think God needs to initiate and begin the good work. So, as we get toward the end of our time together uh, today, I want to return to those initial three assumptions that I said we could glean from Randy Alcorn's statement um, and that I think a lot of Christians and non-Christians assume about hell. I want to return to those three assumptions in light of what we've talked about today. The first is that the central concern of Christianity is our eternal destiny. Well, Calvin would say we need to be concerned in our Christian faith about both the here and now and our eternal destiny. That the life we are given now is a gift to live out, as he called it, the benefits of our faith here and now. One of the benefits of that faith is heaven, both in this life and in the next, is heaven. But there are these benefits that are of central concern to our faith here and now, including prayer and being able to speak and listen for God, including the Christian community to be able to build each other up, including the gifts of the Spirit, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all benefits of our Christian faith here and now. They are all central parts of our faith here and now. So Reformed Christians would say about this first assumption, yes, our eternal destiny is important. I'm not sure it's the central concern of Christianity. Christ has called us to more than fire insurance. If I can put it Fairly crassly, Christ has called us for more than our eternal destiny. He's called us here and now with some central concerns. The second assumption is even more clear for Reformed Christians. We just cannot make this assumption, as so many do, that our eternal destiny is our responsibility. This is really the clearest one that Reformed Christians would disagree with and we've covered it. I won't say it too much uh, more again, although it is so important. We do not believe human beings can ever merit or earn their salvation. That means my eternal destiny is God's responsibility because my eternal destiny is God's gift. 
is God's gift. And if I make that transactional in any way, well, God, I did this, this, and this, you owe me heaven. Or God, they did this, this, and this, you owe them hell. If I make it transactional, it is no longer God's work and it's no longer a gift. So as tough as that is for us to kind of wrap our minds around that and flip that script a little bit, that is what reformed people believe, that that assumption is incorrect about our eternal destiny. And the last assumption was that relatively few people will make it into heaven. Well, we don't know the answer to that. Maybe that assumption is correct, but we would say as reformed Christians, when I look at the character and nature of Jesus Christ, and when I look at uh, his father who sent him and his character, I would say God's intent is salvation. Now, how that intent will be worked out, I don't pretend to understand those mysteries. But God's intent, uh, as opposed to what Randy Alcorn says, God's intent for us is not hell. God's intent for us as his beloved children is heaven. So the only question around this whole issue that matters for Reformed Christians is, do we trust the judge? Do we trust the judge? Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and also judge. Do we trust him, his character, who we meet in him, who he points to God, you know, who in God he shows us, right? Like Jesus is the big pointer to who God is. And when we see where he points, do we trust that as well? Do you trust the judge? That's the only question that matters to us because if we trust the judge, then the judge is the one who is in charge of salvation, of heaven and hell, of eternal destiny. The judge is in charge. So can I trust the judge? Okay, as I promised you at the beginning of this podcast, this is the last of three sessions on hell. Oh my goodness, thank goodness it's the last. Next week, Jen will be back and it'll be What About Heaven? I'll talk to you then. Peace. If you like the One Prez Pod, please like us in your podcast platform or share us with a friend. Until next time, peace.